0: Hello, welcome to PhysioNote Sounds. This is the podcast for paediatric physiotherapists and it's part of Orthopaedic Research UK's courses that they are running for paediatric physiotherapists, the next one being in June 2022. I'm Gavin Spence, one of the organisers of those courses and I'm joining you from Cambridge in the UK. My friend and colleague Michaelis Kokanakis is joining us from London and Michaelis, we have a very special guest today, a superstar of the paediatric physiotherapy world, Yes. I think superstar
1: is the exact word here with our uh, executive guest today, Denise Watson-Tan. I think more or less everyone knows her. And if you don't, well, you're going to find out more about her. Hello, Denise.
2: Hello, Michaelis. Hello, Gavin. Thank you for asking me to come and chat with you on the podcast today.
0: It's a total pleasure to have you on Denise I mean this most genuinely as Michaelis says most people will probably know you particularly with your club foot role but it would be really useful I think just to get us going if you could explain a little bit about your career to date when you started the jobs you did and how you ended up in this extended scope or advanced practice role because I think you were one of the pioneers of this.
2: Well, I'm definitely not a superstar. I think I'm just somebody that has a passion for what they do and happen to be in the right place at the right time and land in a job that was really exciting and gave me the opportunity to really sort of push forward some boundaries. So um yeah, well so I qualified in 1985, which seems a very long time ago, and when I qualified my qualification was a, a grad dip phys so it was a diploma in physiotherapy and the degree course was just about starting but only in a couple of places. And then we started the structure was very similar once you'd qualified so you did a sort of junior rotations and then then started to specialize and I ended up at Great Ormond Street doing my first role in paediatrics uh, loved it and ended up doing lots of paediatric orthopaedics which I found very exciting and stimulating and I felt as a physio I could make a big difference to the outcome of children following surgery and then I decided to have children and at the time, so that was in nineteen mid-90s, flexible working hadn't really been developed very fully. It was always a bit of a challenge, sort of juggling children and career, but I sort of uh, managed to sort of limp through. And when my second child was born, I decided to take a sort of sidestep and I went to work at the Hammersmith. Well, I thought it was a sidestep at the time. It, in fact, turned out to be one of the best decisions I could make. And I worked for six years there in the neuromuscular unit, at the Dubovitz neuromuscular team, before they moved to Great Ormond Street and just learnt so much from Professor Montoni. Uh, Francesco Montoni was the lead at the time and uh, Marion Main, who was one of the lead physiotherapists there. And I learnt a huge amount, which actually has been a really useful transferable skill as I've moved back into paediatric orthopaedics. So a job came up at Chelsea and Westminster and it was an extended scope physiotherapy role. It was the second one in the country. They'd had the first role established at Chelsea and Westminster, my predecessor Val Pete, and she really sort of held my hand while we moved into this new role, which people hadn't really sort of developed. And uh, when I first went there, we did a bit of everything. We did cerebral palsy, musculoskeletal, DDH. We learnt, I learned how to scan hips and uh, record hips. We didn't have arsenographers doing it at the time. And we used to see about six children with clubfoot every year through the clinic because that was about the number that were born at Chelsea and Westminster each year. And then Val left and I had the opportunity to go on a completely different course To Manchester Children's Hospital, which was at Booth Hall at the time. By coincidence, it wasn't about Clubfoot, the course. It was an extended scope, physio, sort of advanced practice, physio, sort of get together for the few posts that were starting in the country. And I met this lady called Naomi Davis, who was treating a child in a very odd way, I thought, for Clubfoot. And I got chatting with her and was very inspired by what she was doing. And she said, Well, I'm running a course in a few months' time. Why don't you come? So I went back to Chelsea, did a bit of research about Ponsetti Method, thought it looked interesting, and Alison Hume, the consultant I work with and I drove up to Manchester, sat through the course, drove home, and she said on the way home, well, well we might as well give it a go, because I can always carry on doing postal media releases if it doesn't work. So this was nineteen ninety one, and we had three children who were listed for postal media release. And so we phoned them up and said, I phoned them up and said, uh, I've just learned this new method. I think we could do something different. Can we give it a go on your child? And two of them said yes. And one of them said no. And the one that said no is the last idiopathic postural media release that we did at Chelsea. So that was back in 90. That was sort of 91, 92, beginning of 92. And so we treated the other two and it seemed to work quite well. And then we started using it on the club feet patients that started coming to clinic and I made a lot of mistakes. So I had Alison, Hume and I had been on the course together. So we sort of nurtured each other. And I had Naomi Davis was the most amazing mentor on the end of the phone. And I would literally phone her every week saying, I've just done this and it didn't look quite right. Or I've tried that and I think it was okay," And she just... She was just amazing mentor because she just talked me through it. And, you know, if things weren't going well, I could pick up the phone and know that she wouldn't judge me. And not everything did go well. And actually, those were the cases I learned from. I really, really did. Then because we'd started this relatively early compared with some centres, we started getting more referrals from other places and it really allowed us to start growing the service. And then in 2002, I had a really difficult patient. I couldn't get it right. I didn't know what I was doing. The foot was just not getting any better. I'd spoken to Naomi and she'd sort of tried to point me in the right direction. And then the family upped and went to see Professor Ponsetti in Iowa. And I was absolutely mortified that the only patient that Professor Ponsetti was likely to ever see of mine was going to be this disaster. So I emailed him and I said you know, I don't know what's happening. Is there any chance that I could come and visit you? And he emailed me back saying, "Yep, come and visit, come for a week. So I did. So and Alison Hume came with me. And in fact, our other lovely consultant, Stuart Evans, also came. So the three of us went to Iowa and spent a week with Professor Ponsetti, which was absolutely amazing and a real game changer.
0: So at that point, had you given up the other subjects that you mentioned, the cerebral palsy, the DDH, and had you really become a clubfoot specialist by this point?
2: No, (laughs) no. So I was still trying to juggle those a bit. And then we put in a business case and we got two more. So my predecessor, Val, had left and we managed to get in her place. We got two posts because she, did, she she was doing so much. So we actually got two posts coming in, and one took on more of the cerebral palsy work, and one took on more of the musculoskeletal. And at that point, we were still doing a little bit of everything. But it was already starting to shift into more designated areas, because it became clear that actually the service was going to expand.
0: But is this something that you had decided as a group yourselves, there was still at At this stage, there was no such official thing as extended scope or advanced practice. Was this just something you had decided as a department that you were going to promote and develop the physiotherapy role and you were each going to take these different domains on or or was this part of a more official program?
2: No, it wasn't part of an official programme. I think it was a response to the needs of the team at the time. And I think Alison Hume had a sort of vision about how things would develop. And and she and I were able to really work together to develop that. And we could see that the skills needed for the cerebral palsy work was starting to be quite different from the skills needed for the musculoskeletal, the clubfoot and the hips. So for a long time, I did musculoskeletal hips and ponseti and then that divided off into hips and ponseti and now it's really mainly ponseti but also I would say deformity casting rather than just ponseti and the cerebral palsy work has really been developed into a much more of a specialty and my amazing colleague Anne Mcnee covers that who's a PhD physio and that's developed a huge amount with the onset of more gait analysis and and things like pips and all of that stuff coming in—that really needs a specialist person, a specialist ESP in post, or an advanced practice physio.
0: It's interesting; the roles become more and more subspecialist in paediatric physiotherapy, as indeed they do in the surgical world. Some people have concerns about that; they worry that we are becoming far too specialist and we can't turn our hands to the other things. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm a supporter. I, I think it's good that we we subspecialise. What are your thoughts about that, Denise? And, and Michaelis actually come to that. You know, this idea of sub-specialising within our specialties.
2: Well, somebody said to me, "Don't you get bored with just treating club foot?" And I thought, "Well, it's not just club foot, is it? Because there are so many syndromic." syndromic children surrounded by that you've got all the developmental issues you've got all of the other musculoskeletal issues that come in so you've actually got to have a really really strong clinical grounding before you can go into that specialty. and I think that's it. that isn't that the same in, in orthopaedic surgery you need to know all those other areas before you can specialise
0: yeah, what do you think, Michaelis? I, I, that's right, that's the way we train. You you do tend to do the generality, but then inevitably we become super specialist within those areas, I think, at least in UK practice.
1: I, I think I agree with both of you. If you work in a highly specialist centre like Chelsea, Westminster, Helena, London, Great Tone Street and and so on, you, you do need the, uh, the, the rotation, you do need the training in paediatric orthopedics, but then you, you're the one who is going to see those very, very uh, uncommon, atypical cases that no one else has treated. So then you become the highly specialist, the one that can provide them the treatment and the solutions, if any, or at least can uh, has the network Like very nicely. I, I was like speechless, you know, listening to you, Denise, telling about, you know, the whole thing with Naomi Davis, and then, you know, you're blessed. You were taught by Potsetti yeah. himself. I'm very envious, I have to say. But the same thing that happens in physiotherapies, uh, physiotherapy uh, world uh, Gavin happens in pediatric orthopedics. I mean, We recently had to uh, become more joint-oriented orthopedic surgeons at the Evelina. So I do cerebral pulse and I do more of the hips and I stopped mm-hmm. operating in knees while my colleague Dan Reed does more of the knees. So it's going to come more and more and especially who, those who work in the children's hospitals. while. The other pediatric orthopedic surgeons, or orthopedic surgeons who deal with children in DGHs, for example, they still have to have this general pediatric orthopedic role. And I presume it's very similar to physiotherapy, Denise, for your colleagues and your peers who work in the DGH. They still have to maintain those skills and they still have to treat children with different kinds of pathologies and not necessarily specialize themselves. Is that right?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. In a DGH, I mean, you have to be a real jack of all trades and be able to to treat all sorts of different conditions. But I I think I think for me, the phrase knowing what you don't know is something I'm mindful of all the time. So things I don't know, you, you have to be prepared to ask or find somebody that does know and not be not be embarrassed or shy about it. A real defining point. I'm going to do some more names dropping. Is name dropping? Is that all right? It's fine. (laughs) So Naomi ran a second conference in Manchester and I put in some case studies and they were two case studies of children where things had gone really badly. They were atypical feet. I didn't know what I was doing. I don't think I'd done a very good job with them. I sort of managed to get them there in the end. You know, it, it wasn't pretty. And I presented them in front of Fred Dietz and Shafiq Pirani. And actually, I th- there were gasps from the audience. I put some of these slides up of feet that I hadn't treated very well. But actually, I did manage to turn them around. One of them, I went back and did what Fred suggested. Fred made the most amazing observations and, and suggestions in his very sort of soft-spoken way. I mean, he is so, so missed. He passed away a few years ago, and he's he's very much missed. But I learned so much from that and not being afraid to show things that hadn't gone well, not try to push them under the carpet and pretend they hadn't happened. And because actually that's how we learn. And so one of the things I really I hope that I try to do is be a very open resource for other physios so that they can call me and say, this isn't, you know, what, what do you think is happening? And I can chat either chat them through it or invite them to clinic or do a virtual call with them or however, whatever works for them, because I've been there. And I think that it's really important to be able to put your hand up when you don't know, because, you know, none of us know everything, do we? And the more I learn, the less I know, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's very, very true.
2: It's interesting when when I hear you
0: talk about the way in which your practice developed and the lessons you learned you talk about your colleagues and you talk about physio colleagues and surgeon colleagues equally there's no seems to be no distinction this is a team game do you think you could have developed your advanced practice role without the support of the surgical teams was was that an important factor do you think or do you think it the, the drive had come from physiotherapists anyway
2: I think it was absolutely essential to work as a team. And I think that's where I was so lucky to work with Alison and Stuart, um, Alison Hume, Stuart Evans, because they were really open and encouraging about us being able to take on a bigger role. So when I first started the clinics, we used to do them alongside a consultant and we'd have a shared sort of caseload and take patients off the same list and very much compare notes. And then that moved to having your own separate lists and now I have clinics where the consultants aren't even in the building on that day. So it, it really progressed. But I think having that trust and knowing that you're all working as part of a team, because I don't think you're there. To, I, I see my role as facilitating the orthopaedic surgeons and um, seeing a lot of the patients that they don't have time to see or they don't need to see all those things. It does mean that their clinics become very heavy because I think that they end up seeing more surgical type cases but you know is that not good use of their time uh, absolutely
0: yeah 100 percent. i mean i am not sure i suppose the surgeons that you're talking about they went to iowa with you they they learned the skills with you mm. Alison hume went with you to manchester you you went on that path together but mm. there are other people like me who haven't really not had that much experience of of poncetti method since I've been a consultant it's largely been physiotherapy dominated so it's actually our skill sets are different so I have to work in a team and in fact in my most recent role I've had to really bring myself up to speed with Ponseti uh, method in which I have to say your webinars are what I went to uh, during lockdown so uh, you've You've taught me by proxy. You didn't know you'd done that, did you? But you, you had. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm very grateful. So it's so interesting, Gavin. So you see, in, before I started my fellowships, I worked a year and a half in Greece and that was back in 2010. And that was 20 years after Chelsea, Westminster and Denise were already doing uh, Ponseti casting, but not in Greece. So they were still doing poster-medial releases. So I belonged to a team which were very early adapters back in Athens. So I met Jose Morquen, and I went to his course, one of the, uh, uh, now he's <clears throat> the professor of Iowa with Ponseti. And, and I went into this culture where everything was changing. So I know exactly. I really, I mean, Denise is a true inspiration, I have to say. But all these things that she says, I kind of live it. And then, and then I came to the UK and I went to Glasgow and now to the Evelina, did my fellowships, and it's all be taken by physiotherapists. And initially, it felt it felt very strange, but then I think one of the very strong messages that we should pass from these podcasts is that if you work well within a team, well, actually, orthopedic surgeons, you know, we need to realize that there's so many capable physiotherapists there that can work. Equally as good, or even better than us doing this kind of stuff. And I think, in my opinion, even more stuff that they still to be
2: explored. But I don't think we could do it on our own, Michaelis. I don't no, think it's, it's something, you know, no I, I mean, I still feel that tenotomy is the re- the in the realm of surgeon. I know there are some physiotherapists that uh, I think there's one in this country that does tenotomy. Yes. But I, I personally don't see it as good use of my skills. I think that I always assist with tenotomy. Um, I want to be there to see the correction. I want to be there to get the cast on. But actually, I think my skills are in other areas. And, you know, and also in t- tendon transfer, that sort of, yes, I can help with the decision making, but ultimately, I'm not going to be doing that surgery. You know, I might, I'm looking at scrubbing in to assist with it, but I wouldn't ever be wanting to do it myself.
1: They're very uh, true, I- and um, mm. of course there are national guidelines, and you may have a bit of variety there in different hospitals with with local guidelines and how each team want to do this. What we found at the Avelina is that my conversion rate, since we have triage clinics, club foot physio-led clinics, and DDH physio-led clinics, it's like seventy-five to hundred percent. So my waiting lists are massive. Uh, But then uh, at the end of the day, this is a good use of my time, as you say. So it works very well for us. What works very well for us, not necessarily my work in Edinburgh or in Glasgow or in in Bristol. So I think that the very strong message is that teamwork between and and communication between the physiotherapy and the, the orthopedic surgeon is vital here.
2: I've been very involved in developing what was originally the Act Africa Club Foot training which has now become Global Club Foot training and there's a level 1 course and a level 2 course and I mean that's a wonderful opportunity for a consultant to come with their physios as a team especially the level 2 course there are a lot of established consultants that maybe See, don't feel they need to do that. But I can see with the newer consultants coming through and, and the fellows doing that course, they get a huge amount out of it. They also get to appreciate the role of the physios, not only the ones teaching, but the ones who are participants. And it's, uh, it's a really good way of appreciating each other's skills. And the case discussions that we have at the end of that that level two course are really interesting in terms of people slightly different approaches and how they would deal with things and I it's a validated Royal College of Surgeon validated course now so it's something you know get people get CPD points for coming on it it's a really good thing but coming as a team I think the teams that come together really get much more out of it
1: so you have both surgeons and physios attending yes tennis. yeah oh, fantastic
2: yeah It's practical and theory and then lots of case discussion. So there are two levels and we have a team of trainers across the country. I am a very small cog in that wheel. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Denise, you mentioned how you developed the role in concert with surgeons and that you were initially doing those clinics together. And as time has gone on, you've essentially become more and more independent. And now you run clinics without the the surgical consultants being in the building. So I'm just curious... To know what your thoughts are about the future of advanced practice in paediatric physiotherapy. What other areas do you think physios are going to move into, and what sort of training Mm. do you think the people who come after you will have and should have?
2: Well, I think AHPs are the way forward, uh, one way forward in the NHS because uh, we're a lot cheaper. I think you tend to not get the same rotation around, so for, for patients, they're going to see the same person, there's more continuity. And uh, paediatric physios have a huge grounding in child development, as well as their sort of speciality areas. So things like the musculoskeletal clinics that one of my colleagues at Chelsea, Sam Double does, She's really, really skilled and she knows what to refer into the surgeons and what can be managed conservatively. And so that bypasses the need to have a surgeon seeing every patient with flat foot, knock knees, bow legs, knee pain. Those patients aren't going to come anywhere near surgery. There is an issue there for training for fellows and there is an issue there for training for the physiotherapist doing the team. I have to say your course has been really useful I, I've had really good feedback from my friends that have have done this, your course in that it's hitting the spot for what they need to know. I think that we are we are definitely an option to help try and get the waiting list down, uh, not the surgical waiting lists, though.
1: So, Ghani, I just want to say this. I send my fellows in Rage France to sit with the physiotherapist doing physio MSK clinic because they learn a lot with these the same way when they sit with me. So it's not just about the service; it's also it, it does it does have an education role, and we send medical students, and they, she has a very good feedback mm. from them.
2: But it needs to happen both ways. Yes, of course. definitely. Yes, of course. <laughs> very definitely. And you need to have a consultant to go to with those things that you really can't answer and can't, don't understand, and can't see quite what's happening. And.
1: So I don't think we've reached that stage, Denise, where we have our physiotherapists doing independent uh, clinics yet. So what we do, they have their own clinic. I think it's a kind of progression. Even listening Mm. to your story, you know, you just need to have this progression. So we we trained our physios. They're very capable, but we still have a consultant next door. So they can come uh, anytime when they start their clinic. We can discuss cases. They can order x-rays themselves. We can go there anytime that they want us. Uh, and then we can discuss after the clinic as well. And I think the next stage for us would be to have independent clinics uh, on themselves without a consultant being around. But we just take our time with this. We're not in a rush, if you know what I mean.
2: Yeah. I mean it's grown this has taken a long time so so our main ponsetti clinic is an all day clinic and it's myself two band 7 physios a specialist nurse a, a physio assistant and we've just really good addition we've just got a rotating band 6 physio who's going that that rotation is coming into the clinic they're going to spend a year with us and that's I think that's wonderful because that's a training role that's going to go through the clinic and you know come out the other side and be able to take on all of those ponsetti skills but also casting skills for deformity casting, serial casting. So it's really, you know, that's taken a long time to build that. But we have about 120 new Clubfoot referrals a year in the service.
0: Is it your perception that paediatric orthopedic physiotherapy is an attractive career path? I mean, one thing that you have to consider is career progression for people who are coming through this the way you have described it 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 was an unofficial program you as a department had decided to specialize in your roles and extend the role but nowadays people need to know that they can progress their careers Mm. they're going to need the right qualifications I mean what are the practical steps required for that career path to be available because it's important if you want to get people recruited into your specialty right
2: Yeah, I think that's really tough. I mean, I've hit a ceiling. There's no way for me to progress further because I don't have the right qualifications. And I think you definitely should be looking at a master's, but we're now expected to have a PhD as well and manage a team. I mean, there's a job gone out recently, actually, Michaelis in your trust, where I think they're expecting superwoman or man, superperson to run that team. They're expected to do research, run a clinical service, manage a team of a lot of physios. I mean, nobody would expect a surgeon to do that. So they're they're getting it through as a higher grade because of the management side, rather than because of the clinical side. So you've got three strands, haven't you? You've got management, clinical and research. But actually to get higher up and to become a consultant physio, you have to do all three of those things at the moment. And I think that's just expecting, I, I think you'll get Reduced clinical standards because of that. I think you've got to. We've got to have a, a, some way of clinicians, ex- expert clinicians, being able to go up above an eight A band, or even in some trusts it's a band seven, but a, a, an eight A band. And there are a few eight Bs and Cs, but they're very few and far between. And they they are mainly super super physios who can just seem to have to juggle everything.
0: So, you th- do you think the physio consultant role? is just around the corner?
2: I'd hope so. And there are people like, I know you've done a podcast with Christine Douglas, but people like Christine are definitely going to be the next generation of physio that I hope will push that forward.
0: And I think we welcome this, govern isn't it? As paediatric orthopedic surgeons. Definitely. I mean, the, everything you've said about the the team working, the multidisciplinary working, the, the fact that surgeons and physios are kind of interlocked and have complementary skills. Yeah, we're, we're entirely signed up to that as well. So, listen, Denise, fantastic. It's been so great to have you on the podcast. I'm, I'm really, really grateful to you for, for your input, for talking us through how you got to where you are, because you really are a pioneer in all of this. It's has well, fantastic I a having foot, you on.
2: I am a clubfoot bore. I could talk forever about it. So, I haven't even talked about clubfoot, really.
0: Well, on that <laughs> subject, on that subject, we will be having a webinar on Clubfoot and I'm really hoping that we can persuade you to come along and be part of the roundtable discussion. So this this is our open invitation to you to come. I and would join love that. to. I would ah, love to. I knew you'd say it. Thank yep. you so much. <laughs> Alright Denise, we better wind up and, and call it a day there. Thanks for your input. michalis as always, thanks for your input too. I hope to our listeners you've enjoyed listening to Denise and of course come and join us on the course and we can really get into the nitty-gritty of Clubfoot as well. Fantastic having your company. Thanks so much to all of you. Bye.